All right, good to see everybody out. Let's go ahead and get started. Page 271. I wondered in the shades of night she came to me. I wandered in the shades of night till Jesus came to me. Okay, you're on the wrong page. <laughs> I wandered in the shades of night till Jesus came to me. And with the sunlight of his love, did all my darkness flee. Sunlight, sunlight in my soul today. Sunlight, sunlight all along the way. Since the Savior found me, took away my sin. I've had the sunlight of his love within. No clouds may gather in the sky and billows round me roll. However dark the world may be, I've sunlight in my soul. Sunlight, sunlight in my soul today. Sunlight, sunlight all along the way. Since the Savior found me, took away my sin. I've had the sunlight of His love within. Soon I shall see Him as He is the light that came to me. Behold the brightness of His face all through eternity. Sunlight, sunlight in my soul today. Sunlight, sunlight all along the way. Since the Savior found me, took away my sin. I've had the sunlight of His love within. Let's do page 265. I was seeking deep in sin, walked the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, seek to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. Completely safe, 
pastor of the sick knows his will obeyed. Your Savior wants to meet me saved today. Page 365. Sixty-seven years old today, and I do want to say this about him: he's a he's a true brother indeed. He's a good brother. 
a good deacon of this church, and I sure do appreciate Brother Terry Ransom and his his life for the Lord. Amen. So let's let's sing happy birthday to Brother Terry. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless Happy birthday to you. And many more. Amen. Amen. Uh, I do need to make one announcement that Brother Brandon asked me to make. Uh, they're planning a trip over there to the, uh, what's the name of that thing at Lighthouse? Hell's Gates. Hell's Gates. And they've got a sign-up sheet out there on the table. And if you're planning on going with them, he needs you to sign up on that sheet tonight. And uh, so they can get a, a ticket, a head count to be able to get the tickets. So be sure to sign up on that sign-up sheet tonight and because uh, he needs it tonight. Um, as far as our and, uh, ladies' meeting this Sunday at 3 o'clock in the fellowship hall, all the young ladies, and uh, that will be this coming Sunday. Uh, as far as our prayer list goes, we've got a lot that are sick and uh and we need to really pray, uh, Sister Marlene Hunter, need to pray for her. Kim Dinsmore had a surgery procedure today. Leo and Margaret Gertz are both uh, feeling, uh, feeling bad. Jerry and Kay Titlow, Brother Kane's stepdad and mother, need to pray for Brother Jerry. He has the onset of what they think may be dementia, so we need to really pray for him. Julie Myers. That used to come to church, live out in Kansas now. Her cancer has returned, and we need to pray for her. Cassie Tanner, the Gordon family, Ed King and family. Uh, some of you may have heard that Jill King, they used to be members here. Jill passed away, 58 years old, I believe was how old she was, but need to pray for Ed and his family. Sophie Deerwent. Uh, has cancer, Riley McNaughton, Elaine Stevens, Cody and Emily Miller, Warren Vickers. And remember, we are praying this month for our pastor's prayer ministry. We're praying for Brother Ken Anderson and his church. How about your prayer request tonight? Anything? Hey, Zach, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else?
we get the lane statement here. Anything, anyone else on your hearts tonight that we need to pray about? Anything else? Yeah, Sue Williams. Anything else on anyone's heart tonight? It's Mickey. Anything else? Well, listen, let's come gather around these altars tonight. Let's pray together. And as you come... The study sheets are here, and if you have any missionary giving, you can give it at this time. Let's come and pray together. to uh, read you something tonight. Um, you know, we had Mason Taylor in here Sunday night, a young 16-year-old boy that preached for us and, and uh, how, how the Lord used him and touched him and while he was with us. 
Well, his mother was also here, and uh, once I got home that night, um, I got a couple of texts from different individuals, and Sister Megan sent me this text, and it was a post that uh, Brother Mason Taylor's mother had posted on Facebook, and and I want to read it tonight. It'll say something about the preacher, but that's that's beside the point, but... I want to read this tonight because I want to emphasize to you how, how God uses this church in the matter of prayer. Every church has got its own unique ministry, and I do believe that God has given this church the ministry of prayer. But I want to read this to you. It said, Mason had the honor to preach tonight at Merville Baptist Church. We have never been there before, but I will say that that is one of the most loving churches we have ever had the privilege of visiting. It means so much to see a church encourage and support the young preachers. And the fact that the pastor recognized an issue Mason had and had the church pray with me and Mason absolutely meant the world to us. It was the first time we'd ever been there, but I look so forward to going back to worship with them again. It really is a blessing to go into a new church and feel so much love and walk out feeling like you have met a whole new family. And, uh, and I commend you, church, for what you do and your heart toward people. Uh, it's not like that everywhere you go out there. A lot of churches are just so cold, and they could care less whether you're there or not, but not you. Y'all go out of your way to show your love and your heart to other people, and I appreciate it from the depths of my heart. Thank you, Sister Megan. Thank you. And I found out that Sister Megan is kin to Mason, in a way. Amen. Acts chapter 3 tonight. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter number 3. This is going to be our 10th lesson in the book of Acts so far, and we're going to cover the entire chapter of chapter 3, and uh, there's, it's, it's a unique story told in the Word of God, and I pray that God will use this to bless you in a, in a special way tonight, Acts chapter number 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we uh, start our study together tonight. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much, Lord, and we thank you for being the God that you are. Lord, we called out a lot of names tonight. And Lord, it amazes me at how you know each one of those by name. Lord, you know them. You supply their everyday needs. And Lord, to think that there's a God in heaven that is that personable to all of us, Lord, just means it just... It just excites me to know how big and how wonderful you really are. To think that, Lord, not only those that we called out, but the entire populace of this entire world is in the hands of our God. And we're thankful, Lord, to know that you're taking care of us and, and Lord, just ministering and supplying every one of our needs in life. Father, we just want to say thank you for loving us. Thank you for being good to us. And Lord, as we undertake this study together, I pray that you'd open our hearts to the scriptures and we're thankful for what you'll do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, 
Amen. Let's look at our study sheets together. I've got the entire chapter printed out within this, these pages, and we'll study it together. The church began its existence on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and today we are still reaping the benefits of that day. The world forever changed when the church was born. Up until that day, the Lord used the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament as His primary agent to reveal Himself. Beginning with the birth of the church, God now uses the unique and peculiar entity called the body of Christ. In Colossians 1.18, we read these words, And He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, speaking of things concerning the church, he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. However, God is not through with the nation of Israel. One day God will restore them to their proper place among the nations of the world. It is a mystery revealed to the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 28, we read these words. He says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, talking about Jesus, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. As the church begins playing out her new role in the scope of God's plan, she will have a lot to do and a lot to learn. She will begin learning about Jesus Christ and His gospel. She will learn about herself and her relationship to the world and the many reasons God has established the church in the world. It is mesmerizing to watch the church begin functioning as these early apostles and believers make their mark within the history of God's book. The church is a living and breathing, unstoppable force that Jesus Christ claims as his bride. She will face many obstacles and oppositions, but she will prevail through them all. In Matthew 16, 18, those words, wonderful words spoken by Jesus Christ, speaking to Peter, he said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Aren't you thankful to be a part of the church tonight? Glad to be on God's side. We're going to first consider verses 1 through 6, and I entitled this section, The Lame Man. And we read these words. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, 
fasting his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The church's beginning was comprised primarily of Jewish believers. It had its roots steeped in Jewish traditions and beliefs. The church also began with the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We read about it in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 and 20. It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. An apostle was a unique position within the early church held by men chosen by Jesus Christ. Their ministry was unique in that they were gifted with certain powers. We read about this in Matthew 10 verses 1 and 2 when it says this, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. This power was not given to exalt the individual who was gifted, but rather as a sign for unbelieving Jews. The nation of Israel had always been accustomed to signs and wonders of God displayed among them. These signs began in the land of Egypt during the ten plagues under the ministry of Moses and continued throughout the history of the nation of Israel. This was so paramount with the Jewish people that they would not believe without some sign given to them. In 1 Corinthians 1, 22, we read these words, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. You may remember the story recorded for us in the Gospel of John, where Jesus appeared unto some of the disciples in the upper room. But Thomas was not there. And he appeared to them and they, they all left that day and they found Thomas and they said, Thomas, you're not going to believe it. Jesus showed up today. We've seen Jesus. And this is what Thomas said because he was a Jew. He said, I will not believe unless I see the print of the nails in his hands, his feet, and in his side. And that was just the nature of any Jew. They had to have a sign. So these apostles were given miracle working powers as a means of convincing unbelieving Jews that God was the authority behind the manifested miracles. The early church experienced these miracles regularly for the benefit of the Jews who were present in the church. And listen, what we just read and studied and learned from this part of the, this you need to keep that in mind as we go through the rest of the book of Acts. These signs, these wonders, these miracles that are going to be 
throughout the book of Acts was done for the sake of unbelieving Jews. The custom, uh, where are we at? The early church experienced these miracles regularly for the benefit of the Jews who were present in the church at Corinth, which was comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. Paul reminded them of the miracles they saw as a sign. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul mentions this when he says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. In chapter 3, two of the original apostles, Peter and John, are on their way to the temple in Jerusalem. The custom of the Jews was to attend, if possible, a call to prayer at a particular time of the day. These two men are on their way to the temple at three in the afternoon. A certain man who was lame all his life would be carried by individuals to the gate beautiful and laid there to ask for money and other goods. This was done daily and was this man's only means of supporting himself. There were probably others that would be carried and, and set there too. But this man is highlighted in this passage. This particular gate was designated as the beautiful gate because of the ornate materials used in its construction. It was nicknamed the Corinthian gate because Corinthian bronze was the base material used to construct the framework. The gate was massive in size compared to the other gates of the temple and the bronze substructure was overlaid with a thick layer of silver and gold. It was beautiful to look at. That's why it was called beautiful. Y'all get that? Okay, okay, we'll go on. It was, a common, it was a common thing to see different individuals sitting outside this gate asking for help. As Peter and John near the gate, they see and hear the man calling out to them asking for an alms. The word alms simply means compassion, mercy, anything given gratuitously to relieve the poor as money, food, or clothing, otherwise called charity. Peter boldly tells the man to look at them and declares that he has nothing material such as silver and gold to give the man. When Peter mentions the silver and gold, they are surrounded by the silver and gold of the gate beautiful. As a visual reference, Peter probably lifted his hands to point out to the materials of the gate and declares that he has none of these to give him. The expectant man is only looking for anything that would help him survive his day. But Peter, being an apostle, offers him something that will forever change his life. And he said these words to him, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Secondly, we want to consider the lifted man, verses 7 through 11. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping stood up and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. 
And they knew it wasn't some hidden gorder that had been healed. It wasn't something hidden. They all saw and they all and they knew that it was he which had which had set it for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were all filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Peter reaches down and lifts the man to his feet, and immediately a miracle transpires. His feet and ankle bones are healed and strong. Once the man is healed, he does not need to learn how to walk, neither is he shaky or unstable, but he immediately begins to walk and leap on legs that had never done so before. Just moments before, everyone saw this man outside the gate crippled and begging for any handout. Now, he is inside the temple interrupting their prayer service with praise to God and a commotion of leaping with everyone taking notice. They all realize who this man is and cannot believe their eyes. This man they just passed by outside is now turning their service upside down and they are all filled with wonder and amazement. He is a lifted man, a leaping man, and also a latched man. He held on to Peter and John with thanksgiving. Imagine a man who has never walked a step in his life. His parents never recorded his first baby steps. He was always dependent upon someone else to carry him wherever he needed to go. And he was always begging for help. Now, he can walk for the first time in his life. We're not told in the, in the narrative of how old this man is, but he's, let's say he's near 30 years old. This man has never taken one step in his life. And all of a sudden, because of what Peter did for him, he's now leaping and walking and, and not even having to, to, to practice or learn how to walk. Now he can walk for the first time in his life. And the people responsible are more than his heroes. They are his miracle workers. Not a day will go by in his life that he will not think about these men and the miracle they bestowed upon him. He was looking for gold and was given God. He expected another day of begging. And now he is beginning a new life of freedom from his old life. He was sitting in the hot midday sun. Now he has been lifted by the Son of God. This is a picture of salvation uh, as so many miracles are in the Word of God. Now we want to look at the lesson man. Verses 12 through 26, a lengthy portion, but we'll read it. It says, and when Peter saw it, when he saw that the people were just mesmerized, they were just full of wonder and awe that this man who had never walked a day in his life or is now walking and leaping and just praising God and, and they just cannot believe it. So it says, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, 
Why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as so also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of the restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the, since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, speaking of Jesus Christ. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first have God, unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Peter sees his opportunity to preach to these wandering Jews. They all had just witnessed a miracle, and Peter jumps at the occasion to tell the story behind the miracle. He addresses the men of Israel and forces a question upon their minds in his opening statement. And he says it in verse 12, he says, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? He emphatically corrects their thinking and declares that it was not by their own power or holiness that this miracle man was standing with them on this day. That is a totally different attitude reflected than what is displayed by the false healers of our day. Peter decried the fact that they did not have any silver or gold to give. But the fakers seen on TV fly around in six million dollar jets with a private entourage accompanying them to stage their next meeting. 
If they encountered someone outside their stage auditorium needing a miracle, they could no more produce one than my cat could. They're deceitful workers of iniquity, preying on people for personal gain. Amen and amen and amen. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen and 14 says it like this. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And by the way, there's no such thing as an apostle today. They all died out through the early onset of the church. We do not have apostles today. He says they transformed themselves into the apostles of Christ. So if anyone claims to be apostle and apostle, you know they're a false preacher at that, at that very moment. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. One of these false apostles just claimed that he believed God wanted him to become the first billionaire preacher. As he begged people to send him money. Peter then seizes the moment to remind them that their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had accomplished this miracle to glorify his son, Jesus Christ. Peter realizes that the miracle is not the subject at hand, but rather it is a moment to lift up the name of Jesus Christ to these unbelieving Jews. Something new is happening in Jerusalem. The name of Jesus Christ has become the church's message. Peter is so bold and full of God that he not only declares that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he tells them that they are the ones responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. He said these words in verses 14 and 15, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the prince of life. This is not an accusation, but rather a fact that Peter lays at the feet of every Jewish person standing before him. Peter, John, and the healed man are grouped together facing what could have become their lynching mob. The declaration of the truth is much more important than saving face when presenting the word of God before any group of people. Too many of God's men are afraid to preach the whole counsel of God because they are afraid of the rejection of people. That is also why many of God's people never witness the gospel to others as they should. Fear of rejection should and can be overcome by praying for the needed boldness from God. We read about this. We'll study it in the next chapter, chapter Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Peter then tells them that God raised Jesus from the dead declaring the witness resurrection. And he said, and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. He then gives an invitation for them to repent and be converted and goes on to tell the consequences of rejecting his appeal for them to get right with God. In Acts 3.23, Peter said these words, And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet 
shall be destroyed from among the people. The time of invitation is the most important time of any service. It is within that scope of time that lost souls are hanging in the balance. On the one hand, they have the opportunity to receive salvation. And then, on the other hand, the enemy of their soul is desperately persuading them to wait. Once Peter gives the invitation in verse 19, he charges them for seven more verses. It's like singing Amazing Grace over and over and over again during the invitation, trying to get people to respond. Once Peter gives the invitation in verse 19, he charges them for seven more verses, trying to persuade them to receive the free salvation offered. It's amazing to watch people at Watch as people grapple with that decision. They grip the back of the pew. They hold on to someone standing beside them. They sit down and anything else to relieve the pressing of the Spirit of God for them to receive the most wonderful gift ever offered to anyone. The Spirit of God is convicting and trying to convince on one side and Satan is offering them every excuse to put it off. There's one thing more dangerous than the battle between the two. And that is no battle at all. For a lost person to be able to casually brush off any invitation to receive Christ is for that person to stand on eternal dangerous ground. God gives people the opportunity to be saved. And when an individual rejects that offer, if the offer is ever presented again, it will be easier for them to say, no, rejecting the imitation of God once or multiple times all yield the same result, hell. It is such a tragic thing to lightly reject the gracious invitation to receive Jesus Christ. Jesus told a parable about those who made excuses rather than favorably respond to his invitation. We read about this in Luke chapter 14. Verses 16 through 20. Jesus given this parable. He said, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. Everything needed for someone to be saved is now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. To reject Christ will result in God eternally rejecting you. To say no to Jesus will mean God will say no to you for eternity. The next chapter will reveal the responses to Peter's gospel invitation. That's chapter 3 of the book of Acts. I learned a lot just working on this, this lesson tonight. And I, I sure do appreciate God's opportunity to study and prepare. Amen. Let's all stand tonight and we'll be dismissed.
I remember, I remember I had the opportunity to go to Brother Ken Anderson's camp meeting this past week. 